Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Welcome everyone. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. And welcome to everyone joining us online. I'm thrilled that you're joining us from wherever you're at. Um, I'm, I'm just glad that you're with us. Today, let me just kind of highlight the Project Share stuff. Uh, first off, for those of you who were at uh, our early service, 9 a.m. last week, and you were bringing in Operation Christmas Child boxes, maybe you didn't hear, but we actually surpassed our 1,000-box goal, which is absolutely awesome. So thank you, guys. Everyone who gave to that, everyone who came to the packing party, thank you. It was awesome. So cool to see that project get reached. And now we're heading into kind of our next couple projects during Project Share, which is just kind of some of the projects we go after during this Christmas season to give back. And so last week's Operation Christmas Child, giving gifts really to kids that will be overseas. They're going to get a Christmas gift, but they're also going to get the gospel uh, in each one of those boxes. And now we're continuing. Uh, we got Food for Families right now. So Food for Families is basically... You you just saw that video kind of summarizes what we're doing. It helps basically provide food for families right here in our area uh, where these families get food uh, through the school system. And then over Christmas break, they don't receive that. And so we're just able to offer some additional breakfast foods, lunch foods that help families kind of make it through the Christmas break. And so all you have to do is as you leave here today, grab a bag and on the bag is instructions of what goes in the bag and then bring it back here and we'll help distribute it. For everyone watching online, if you're going, man, how could I participate? We actually have a link. You can text the word share to the number that's on the screen. And uh, from there, you can actually go to an Amazon uh, cart, fill it out and fill that up and it gets shipped here. And so you can participate right wherever you are joining us from. And then also what's coming up, it's, it's right around the corner, is Children's World Impact. We have a food packing party and this is different. So we've got two food projects, one that helps meet uh, needs right here locally and another one that will actually help meet some needs globally. So with Children's World Impact, this packing party is where we come and we, we package literally 100,000 meals in a couple days. And uh, it's a pretty awesome event. And so if you're local and you're able to make it here and be a part of that, we would love to invite you. All you have to do is go to their website and you can uh, sign up for a time slot. You're going to come for one hour. You're going to pack probably with a team of people about 5,000 meals. And then those are going to go to uh, families in need uh, globally. And so we're really excited about that. So follow the links. You can go to our events page. You can go to our website to follow up on all these things. But we would love it. Grab a bag today if you're in person. Follow the links if you're online, and, um, and that's really sweet. Also, at the end of the service, if you didn't hear at the beginning, uh, we are going to be taking communion if you're just joining us right now. So make sure to grab something that can be your elements when we get to communion, something that can represent the bread and the juice or the wine at that point, okay? All right, so let's continue on. We are in week number seven. Okay, we're final two weeks here of this series that we've been doing. It's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, this has all been about really looking at end times. And if you're wondering, maybe, maybe this was all new to you in this whole process of like going, hold on, is there something like the world might actually come to an end? end or Jesus like came once but he's going to come a second time and so all these kind of um, amazing prophecies that are actually foundational to our faith as Christians this reality that Christ is going to return let me just start by asking a question as we dive into today have you ever needed something to just come to an end like I this thing just needs 
to end. Anyone ever feel that way about something in life? Maybe some of you feel that way about COVID right now. You're like, this thing just needs to end. But maybe, the, I, I think we all get it that there are times when we're like, I just, I, I need the end in sight. Uh, last month, I actually took um, four of my kids caving. And uh, I've got a picture of us in, in the cave. And if you're thinking like, oh, caving, like in uh, like where you walk in and it's like all these lit up stalactites and things like that and a, a guide, that's not the type of caving we do. We're like hardcore caving where literally you walk into the mouth of a cave, it's huge. We go back about 100 feet and in the back of the cave is a little hole about this big. And the first 40 feet, you're crawling in about, it's, it's the whole height is maybe a foot and a half tall and you're just army crawling it in. And then there's about four miles of underground caves and uh, we explored about an uh, we did about a mile and a half it takes about three and a half hours four hours to do a loop underground and majority of it is crawling or rolling which I've discovered the older I get I can't handle the rolling I get like I have two rolls and I'm like I'm I'm gonna throw up you know that type of thing but uh, this is actually a sweet moment in the cave because once here's I've done this enough times where I've taken youth uh, I, I've taken youth through this and tons of trips through this one specific cave down in Indiana. This is the spot. It's called the tea room because as you come in, you come to a tea and you go left or you can go right. And if you go one way, one way, there is an underground, like a full loop, like a mile and a half loop underground that if you can find your way back to the spot, and this is always the trick, finding your way back, you'll get back to the tea room. Once you make it there, you're like home free. You're out. But about an hour and a half, two hours into the trip, everyone starts really longing to see the sky. You're, you're like, I'm just ready for this thing to be done. And so this is actually taken in the tea room where we had made it to the moment where we're like, we made it. We'd actually hung one of our sweatshirts in the middle of the room because I was like, I've come to this spot in the cave before and actually walked past it. And then you can start doing the loop again and not even realize it. And you can be just lost underground forever. And so we had hung a sweatshirt. And we're like, we found it. And so uh, we were just thrilled. Um, uh, a few of my daughters were a little bit more thrilled than the rest of us because they were like, we got to get out. But at this moment, it's this moment where we're like, we're gonna get out. And it's so sweet. And I can imagine that there's some of you in life that we can all relate to, like, I just need to get out. I need this thing to come to an end. I need, maybe it's a lawsuit that just, I just gotta see this thing get finished. Uh, a work project, I just gotta get this thing over. A job, I just gotta finish this job and get on to the next one. Uh, maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. It's time to move on. It's an addiction. It's a lie. It's a bad thought process. It's uh, something that an ongoing fight with illness that you're like, I, I'm just done. Now, as I say all those things that I listed there, all those things are related to sin and pain that comes uh, of things that just kind of wear us out and exhaust us. And today what we're looking at is this thing called evil, if you will. Just as big, I mean, it's a big blanket statement, but evil and how evil, this thing called evil has to come to an end. And actually, that's the beauty of the, of the Bible and this book, Revelation, is it finally brings us to the end. To a final, like, not just like, hey, there's a victory. It's like, this is the end and the end of evil. If I could sum up what we're covering today, it's this question is, how does the story of evil end? 
And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to hop into just two chapters. I know last week we covered 12. Whoa, that was so much. So only two today. Uh, and this is, once again, last week we covered the tribulation. This is after the tribulation. All this stuff is still yet to come, so this is Bible prophecy. But I'm going to summarize some of the, these first chapters with just kind of a summary slide, if you will, uh, or portions of this chapter. So the first one would be Revelation. The first 10 verses of Revelation 19 is actually the worship of God for the victory over Babylon and the uniting of Christ with his bride, which is the church. So that's what is being described there. Now, you might say, what is Babylon? There's actually two Babylons described in uh, Revelation, Revelation 18 and 19. There's Babylon, uh, the, the great city, and there's Babylon, the harlot. Babylon, the harlot, represents false religion. And that false religion with its lies and deception and all that at some point will be done away with and destroyed. Babylon, the great city, is actually a description of uh, corrupt um, commerce and politics and world systems that are going to have to come to an end. And so this is this destruction or the, the description of those corrupt systems that are coming to an end. And it's actually right in the middle of this that there's verse 6. It's actually a pretty important verse. In the worship of God, it's this verse that goes, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. It's where Handel, when he wrote the Handel's Messiah, it comes right out of this passage of Scripture. Is is this worship of God um, because of his victory. And then in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, Next slide. Uh, through 21 is a more detailed description of the Battle of Armageddon. In chapter 17, which we looked at last week, was also a description of the Battle of Armageddon. It was a, a kind of a really brief picture. This is a more detailed picture of Christ coming on a white horse and armies of, of heaven behind him and uh, kind of this final battle. And so I would encourage you to actually read it this week because it's a cool picture. And then from here... What I want to get to is, is this moment, like right after the battle of Armageddon, this final bad, battle where Christ defeats the Antichrist, what happens next? And there's two things that happen right after the battle of Armageddon. One, Satan is bound for a thousand years in what we call the millennium, okay? And then the second thing is Jesus returns to earth and he sets up a rule here on earth for that thousand year period of time. And so let me just kind of look at those two parts. Satan being bound for a thousand years. This is found in uh, Revelation chapter 20. It's the first six verses. And so we're just going to dive right in here and we'll read... We'll read portions of it. Verse 4. And I saw an angel coming out of heaven having the key to the abyss. Picture the abyss like jail, okay? Because this is where Satan's going to get thrown for a thousand years. Uh, And holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon. Remember, a dragon is always Satan throughout all of uh, Revelation. And it even describes it here. The ancient serpent, he's tying it all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, how Satan came in the form of a certain, who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss. It's kind of like jail. (laughs) And he locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. 
I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw souls from those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. This is all those who are killed for their faith during the tribulation. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, and they had not received the mark on their forehead or their hands. We talked about the mark of the beast last week. If you missed any of this stuff, please go back and, re- and listen to those messages where I really unpacked all these things. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so what we have this description of is Satan being bound for a thousand years. Christ is going to rule on earth with those who were martyred, died for their faith in the tribulation. They're going to rule with Christ on earth as well during that thousand year period of time. Uh, which is just awesome. And so this is this moment. I love this though. A lot of times when we talk about the second coming of Christ, this is it. The second coming of Christ happens at the Battle of Armageddon, but it doesn't describe him actually touching down to earth. It's like, I don't know, there's some type of amazing battle where his fury is poured out on on all these armies that have come against him. And then you've got uh, Satan's thrown into the abyss for a thousand years, and then Christ is going to set up his millennial reign here on earth. He's going to rule here on earth. And here's this amazing moment in history that in and of itself is going to be pretty phenomenal. And so what I want to talk about real quick is what does it look like? like for Christ to touch down to earth? Like, what does that look like? And, and where does it happen? And is, is it going to be spectacular? I really think it is. The Bible actually talks about where Jesus is going to finally touch down this thing called the second coming. And it's actually described, the, one of the places that we see it is, it happens right after Jesus ascends to heaven. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, this is what happens. Jesus He's going to go to heaven, okay? He's already died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. And he says this to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So here are the final words of what Jesus says to his disciples. He's basically saying, guys, here's your mandate. Here's what you guys need to do. You need to be my witnesses here first, then beyond our borders, and then everywhere. And you're only going to be successful when the Holy Spirit indwells you and gives you power to do that. Okay? And then from there, after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. I can imagine them just going, Where's he going? Where's he going? Suddenly, two men dressed in white, these are angels, stood beside them. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in the sky? They're just like, Is he coming back? Like, do you think he's coming back right away? Like, how long? (laughs) They're just staring. So these angels are like, why are you looking up into the sky? And then they say this, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back uh, in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. From this very place here on the Mount of Olives, in the same way he ascended, this is exactly where he's going to come back and descend and touch down to earth. In fact, the prophet uh, Zechariah tells of this same picture as well. Zechariah is describing, actually, in chapter 14, he's referencing, this is amazing, the final battle of Armageddon and Christ's return. Let's check it out. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2. This is an Old Testament prophet, wrote this over 500 years before Christ even comes to earth, okay? He says this, and he's, he's having a vision from the Lord, okay? And it says, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against them. What does it sound like? It's the battle of Armageddon. All the nations are going to gather in Jerusalem to fight against it. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. On that day, 
What day? The day of the battle of Armageddon. On that day, his, being Jesus' feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives, check this out, this is quite an arrival, is going to split in two from east to west, forming a great valley within half, half of the mountain moving to the north and half of it moving to the south. That's like a drop mic moment, right? Jesus' arrival touches down to the Mount of Olives and the whole mountain splits in half. The Lord, listen to this, will be king over the whole earth. What does this sound like? The millennial reign. On that day, there will be one Lord. He's it. He's the king. Satan is bound in the abyss and he's the one Lord and his name, the only name. This is amazing that Zechariah prophesies this over 500 years before even Christ comes the first time. He's prophesying and describing the battle of Armageddon and Christ's second arrival and what that will look like. Ezekiel also prophesies in the same way, and he does this over 600 years before Christ's arrival. Check this out in Ezekiel chapter 42, verse 1 and 2, and then I think verse 4 and 7. Then the man, this is once again, he's having a vision uh, and an angel is showing him something. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The glory of the Lord entered the temple, temple through the gate facing east. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for, listen to this, the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. This is this awesome picture of literally him describing the gate that Christ is going to enter through where his, the soles of his feet will walk on in and that's where he'll rule with the Israelites, okay? Uh, now here's the thing that you got to understand. Over the years, many of the gates as well as the, the walls in Jerusalem have been destroyed. In 70 AD was kind of the first destruction and then they've been rebuilt. And often, almost always, they rebuild them in the same location of the original walls as well as the gates. One of the guys who was actually uh, really important in the rebuilding of some of these gates and walls was a guy by the name of Suleiman. Uh, Suleiman the Magnificent. I know it kind of sounds like a bad guy from the Lord of the Rings. That's not him. Okay, it's this guy. He lived in the 15th century, and uh, he was the 10th uh, sultan in the Ottoman Empire. And he was one of the guys who rebuilt actually a handful of the walls around Jerusalem, as well as some of the original gates. Um, one of the gates that obviously he rebuilt was the East Gate. This is the gate that is directly across from the, the Mount of Olives right there in Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting is that this guy, Suleiman, came to believe so much in the prophecy of Ezekiel that he actually uh, sealed up the East Gate three years after he built it because he never wanted Christ to return through that gate again and set up and have the soles of his feet walk through that gate into Jerusalem. So he actually sealed it up. Let me show you a couple pictures. Uh, when, when a group of us were in Israel earlier this year, uh, I took this photo. This is from the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives is not this massive mountain. It's actually kind of a hill, a, a large hill directly across from, from 
from Jerusalem. And so from right here from the top of the Mount of Olives, this is about where Jesus would have ascended to heaven. And this is where Jesus is going to return. Right down here in this corner, you see actually this is the east gate, which is sealed up, that Solomon sealed up uh, back in the 1500s to prevent Christ from returning. The other thing that he did is uh, right here in front, you might be like, what is all this? this? This is a cemetery. Solomon had this mindset that he said, if I put a cemetery here, Christ will never return and destroy a cemetery where all of these people have been buried. Um, but as we know, um, your soul doesn't reside in a dead body. Your soul is different. And so that's not going to stop anything. Let's do a zoomed-in picture here of the East Gate. So this is a picture of the East Gate that Solomon sealed up. Now, here's what's really cool about this. 2,000 years ago, when Christ entered into Jerusalem right before his death, the week of Holy Week, do you want to know what gate he entered through? The East Gate. This is where Christ would have entered when everyone is waving their palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what did people want? They wanted Christ to set up a kingdom and overthrow the Roman government and become the king over Jerusalem. And of course, Christ was not coming to bring victory over the Roman government. He was actually coming to bring victory over all of sin and death for not just the Jews, but for all of humanity. Right, And so he didn't set up an earthly kingdom at that point. He actually defeated sin and death for all of us. But here's what's awesome, and I just love this, is that when Christ returns, he is going to enter in through that east gate once again. And this time he is going to set up an earthly kingdom right here on earth. This gate, it's amazing. God is going to, Jesus is going to come, touch down on the Mount of Olives. This whole thing is going to split. This gate that is closed up to keep Christ from returning is going to split right down the middle. And Christ is going to walk through the east gate to set up his kingdom here on earth. Isn't that awesome? I love that. So then what happens next? Let's go on to Revelation chapter uh, 20, verse 7 through 10, is a picture where Satan is released for a short period of time. He's going to deceive those who are on the earth, and he rallies them for a final battle against God. They're going to be destroyed with fire, and they'll be thrown, cast into the lake of fire. Now, you might wonder, who in the world is on planet earth that, would, that Satan would be able to go on out and deceive and rally against God? Now, remember, at the battle of Armageddon, the armies of the world have rallied against God in Jerusalem, but humanity has, is still everywhere. And in the tribulation, the vast majority of people who are left are going to be turning against God during that period of time. They are going to be, they're going to dig in their heels and they're going to be so in opposition to God. So at the battle of Armageddon, while the armies are destroyed, there will be people all over the earth who still are vehemently opposing Christ. And even though Christ is going to set up an earthly rule and reign on earth, there will be people all over the earth who will say, we want nothing to do with you. And they, for a thousand years, will continue having children who will raise those children to say, we want nothing to do with Christ, even though he's over there. Don't forget, Christ actually came and lived on earth and people rejected him once. And he will live on earth again, and people will reject him a second time. It's during, at the end of the millennium, Christ will release Satan from the abyss. He'll go and gather all those people who have continued to uh, rebel against Christ. And, and it says in scripture that they will be as numerous as the sands on the sea. There will be still that many people who, although Christ is right there, will say, I want nothing to do with you. 
And it's at that moment that they will receive a final judgment. And uh, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire where it says he will be in torment forever and ever. Then we have this final moment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, which is the great white throne judgment. Now you need to know about this judgment. This judgment is not for everyone. This judgment is for those who have rejected Christ. It's not for believers. It's not for Christians. We're going to talk actually next week about what Christians will go through, which is called the Bema Seat Judgment, and it's different. This is the great white throne judgment, and let's check it out in verse 11 through 15. This is what it says. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. If you think that you'll be able to get out of this judgment, <laughs> there will be no place to hide. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead, which is in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. We're going to hop over verse 14. We'll come back to it. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is this final judgment, but what's interesting is it even describes what you're judged against. And so uh, you've got a couple different books here. You've got all these books that record everything that people have done. And I don't know if you've ever heard of people saying, you know, someday I'm going to come face to face with God. And when I come face to face with God, he'll notice that I have done, uh, maybe I wasn't too bad or I wasn't, uh, or I was pretty good. The problem is not too bad and pretty good is not the standard for heaven. The standard for heaven is perfection, and those books are going to reveal what you did that was either not too bad or pretty good, but actually what's in those books does not matter at all. There's only one book that matters in heaven, and it's the book of life, and it's Is Your Name Written There? And the book of life contains the names of those who have trusted what Jesus has done, his work of the cross, not our works. See, at the end of the day, your works will be laid before Christ, and if it's just everything that I have done, you're going to say, I put my trust, my faith in what I have have done my works, or you're going to say, I'm going to put my faith in the work of the cross in what Jesus did for me. See, Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 23, it says this, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning you're good, you're pretty good, or you're not too bad is not the standard. The standard is God's glorious standard, which is perfection. And there's a price for sin. Romans 6, 23, it says the price of sin is this, the price of sin is death. And that's a price that's just too steep for you or I to pay. But God in his love for us sent his son to lay down his life for us in our place and the gift of God that we can have is eternal life when we put our, our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. What he did for us at the cross. At the end of the day, the only book that matters is the book of life and is your name written there. And then you're going to see something that really is so necessary. It's found in verse 14. I hopped over it, but we got to come back to it because it's so important. It's like the, fin it's the finale to everything. It says this, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Because are you aware at this point, the Antichrist is done away with and Satan is done away with and you would say, okay, so then aren't we done? But we're not done. You want to know why we're not done? Is because there is an impact upon all of creation that happened at the fall and that impact was this, death. 
If you remember at the beginning of Revelation, Revelation 1, we've got this image of Christ. He says, I'm the living one. I was dead. Now look, I'm alive. I live forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. That's what Jesus is holding on to. He has control over that thing. See, at the fall, when God said, don't eat of the knowledge of, uh, eat from the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, on that day you will surely die. Not on that day Sin's going to happen. Yes, sin happened, but there was a more profound impact upon all of creation. And that's death enters in, and death has to be done away with. It's like the remnant of the impact of Satan upon all of creation that has to be done away with. And this is ultimately what also gets thrown into the lake of fire. This is the thing, death, that has to be done away with. When we were in Israel, we went to the Holocaust Museum. And um, it's a sobering moment to walk through the Holocaust Museum and see uh, kind of the story uh, during World War II, you know, how, how Hitler just really was trying to eliminate the, the world of any Jews and kill all Jews. And one of the things that's just, it's, it's, it's just so sobering, so somber, is when you see the piles of shoes, glasses, rings that they have, that are remnants of all of those that they took right off of the Jews right before they went into gas chambers. It's just piles of shoes. And it's just like you can look at this thing that reminds us of this horrific act that happened in our history. And and here's the deal. Verse 14, what it does for us is it's this reminder of the wiping away of the last remnant of Satan's existence and all the pain that he caused. And I'm excited for, all, for the remnant of all that to be gone. That, that there will be no longer that we're looking at like, oh, remember how Satan did that? And remember how Satan did that? All that gets wiped away. The remnant of Satan's existence and all the pain he caused will be gone. It's a good ending to a good story. Amen? Next week, actually. There's a couple more chapters because there's a really sweet reality for what is next. There's actually something next that's so important, and we'll get to that next week. But we're going to end with communion. And I thought how sweet to end with communion because here's the deal. Just listen to this. So death is done away with, right? Satan's done away with. The Antichrist is done away with. Death is done away with. There's no, like, remnant of Satan's existence any longer, except for one thing. Are you ready for it? In heaven, you want to know the only thing that will ever remind us that there was sin, that there was death? Be Jesus himself. Because Jesus, for eternity, will have the marks of the cross on him. It's the only thing that for all of eternity, we're just going to look at him and say, remember what he did for us. Remember the victory he won us. I, I was actually processing this. I, I, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm just wondering. I'm speculating. I'm wondering if the one sacrament that makes it into heaven is communion. Because he'll always have the holes in his hand. In the glorified body state, Jesus still had holes in his hand and a hole in his side, holes in his feet. In heaven, Christ is depicted as the lamb that was slain. It's this constant reminder of he's worthy because of the sacrifice that he made for the victory that he won for us all. 
And so I, even as we take communion this morning, communion is designed for Christ followers. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower, first I would invite you to become one today. But secondly, I would, I would tell you, listen, this is, this is something that I believe is happening, not just here in the room and not just happening at home right now, but I think across the globe, you want to know what many Christians are doing right now? They take these same elements and they're remembering what Christ won for us at the cross. The, the bread that represents his body that was broken for us and the cup that represents his blood that was poured out for us. And every time we, we take these elements, according to 1 Corinthians, what we declare is the cross. We declare Jesus did something, accomplished something for us at the cross. And so um, during this song, we're just going to give you a song here to just do some reflection and give thanks to the Lord. I almost, it takes me to Revelation 19, verse 6 which is what Handel wrote the Handel's Messiah from, this victory that Christ has won for us. So would you bow your heads with me and I'll, I'll pray and we'll just set us up for a, a moment here for you to reflect. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've been trusting in your own works, today might I invite you to trust in the work of the cross and have your name be recognized in the book of life. Through a simple prayer like this, Heavenly Father, you are a perfect and holy God and my sin has separated me from you. It's broken my relationship with you. And there's nothing that I can do that is good enough to make our relationship right. But you love me so much that you sent your son to lay down his life for me. And I put my faith in the works of the cross, not in my own works. May my name be in the book of life for eternity. And as we continue to pray, as we come to this time of communion to remember what Christ did for us, may this be a sweet moment that just reminds us of the great sacrifice he made for us, for the victory that he could have over sin and death and all the remnants of Satan and the work and the pain of Satan will someday be done away with. It will be the end of evil. We're so thankful for that. The cross made it power possible. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.